Can't see fucking shit out of this thing. We ready or what? Oh, hold on, I'm fucking with my whole. Oh, oh shit. Uh, I just made it worse. Who made this goddamn shit? Well, there's wife. You make your own goddamn match. Look, nobody's saying they don't appreciate what Jenny did. Well, if all I had to do was cut a hole in a bag, I could have cut it better than this. What about yeah. you, Robert? Yeah. Can you see? Not too good. I mean, if I don't move my head, I can see you pretty good, more or less. But when I start riding, the bag's moving all over, and I, I'm riding blind. I just made mine worse. Anybody bring any extra bags? No, nobody brought an extra bag. I'm just asking. Django Unchained Legacy Series. We are back. <laughs> With this and Tony, you must be so excited to do this. I am very excited. Uh, it's the best one. No, I, I want to say it right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. I have been looking forward to this movie for a while. That is good. That is good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that at least one of us is looking forward to it. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you hate it, but you've been like giving me comments. I don't like, oh, look, man, I, look at this trash. <laughs> I don't hate it. You, we we know we know that you like to take it to the extreme. When I slightly dislike something, it's like, I hate it. I gotta say though, like that scene that you chose as the uh, the the what intro track? I'm sure it was only it. It's the best. It's the funniest thing that I think he has ever done as a director. Oh, the funniest! Well, I'm. I think it is. It's the funniest scene he's ever done. True. I I stand Mm. by that now. Just like thinking, like what could even come close to it? True. It's got to be Pulp Fiction, right? Pulp Fiction is the only thing that has to come close there's quite a few scenes in inglorious bastards but we should definitely get into it and i want to hear why you think it's the funniest thing he's ever done uh let's roll the intro What's up? Stopped. But yeah, stopped, no, not man. much, man. It's been a while. We, oh, we yeah, had a good. week. You're looking good. I think ready. you're looking good. Am I looking good? Yeah. The hair is shorter. Well, you always got a good hairstyle, though. Nah, man. Do, do you miss the, the long hair? I think mm, about it sometimes. I, yeah, I, I kind of do. Yeah. But, like, I like this length. This length, I think, is quite good. Yeah, because I feel like, um, like cause I'm never going to be able to do it again. Like, it's done. I'm never going through that mid-phase again. Mm-hmm. So that was just a moment in time that's never happening again. And so now I'm back to paying for haircuts regularly, which pains me. <laughs> just cut it yourself. Nah, because like, I, c- I can shave the sides myself, but I don't like to do scissor work. I feel like that's, yeah. you need talent for that. You need skill. Yeah. And, yeah. Or like 10 mirrors. Yeah. No, 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 skill. I mean, like, there's, there's, I'll, I'll pay for that. Though, isn't it weird now that, like, back in the day, like, $10 haircut, that was like normal, that was good. Now it's like thirty dollars is a cheap one. Mmm, thirty dollars is a cheap one. Yeah, I pay like fifty bucks for my barber. Yeah, there you go. Like fifty bucks is like a good one, right? And I get like a zero and a one. And you a should trim. not be paying fifty dollars <laughs> for just a zero around your head. Like, you like can the do way, that yourself. The, the way, yeah, true. And I and I did do it myself when when the pandemic was here once yeah. upon a time. 
some lifetime ago. Now you can splash it about a little bit. You know, uh, yeah. The, well, the way I see it is, yes, helping the economy. Yes, thanks for that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's two points, helping the economy. And the other point is it's saving me time to do it myself. Do they do, they do it faster? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just feel like this is fast. They, they, right? would, they would do it faster and they would make it look good because when you're trimming my beard, like there's – it's called lining it up or something like that. Something oh, like so they do the whole head. They're, they're they do the whole head. head. Yeah, right, right. Mm. That is the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, welcome to the listener. Uh, back to the Legacy series, which is Quentin Tarantino, the second director we're doing in this series. We have done pretty much all of Tarantino films. We're coming up to the last few films. Um, and of course, today we are doing Django Unchained. Mm. Um <clears throat> And, um, yeah, this is also written and directed, surprisingly, by <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. That's surprising. Um, oh, because he he's has guest writers sometimes, right? Does this, is this writers, fully written yeah. by him? This is fully written by him. Or oh, he yeah. should write more. I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> we know who the one loves this film, I guess. Um, but, yeah, yeah, fully written by him. Um, and it has – it's actually one of his longest films, too. Um most of his films. Oh, sorry, no. Most of the films are about two and a half hours. Yeah, um, that's pretty so I take that back. For some reason, I think I just wanted to say that because it feels like a very long movie. <laughs> it doesn't, though. It just flew by. I remember when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm gonna have to space this out over two days. I didn't. Fair just enough. Happened. Wait, no. I think it's longer than this. I think I just accidentally left the runtime here Do from the previous one. Django Unchained. Yeah. Runtime. Do some googling. Because I'm pretty sure it's a little bit longer. I think it's closer to three. Three forty-five. Three forty-five. There we go. See, I wasn't wrong. Yeah. So you had two thirty-two, by the way. That was from the previous. Uh, can't remember. Maybe Would have been glorious. Glorious buses. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Tell you what, what a run he's on at this point in his career. Yeah, it's a pretty good run, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like this. T- these two back to back is is pretty impressive. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because um, as just a normal movie watcher i kind of thought of quentin tarantino was like oh yeah this movie came out and i'm like oh yeah let's watch it and you watch it and it's really good mm-hmm. and i kind of thought that like this was just his standard throughout his entire career when doing this legacy series i started to realize that like he had like he's had highs and lows right and like getting inglorious bastards off the ground after um death proof might have been hard mm-hmm. like, I, yeah. I don't actually think about how difficult that could have been for him to command that kind of money and get all those actors and do such a sprawling epic after like that. And like Kill Bill, I think was probably a commercial success, but I mean, I didn't love it. So Mm. yeah. But that being said, Death Proof wasn't a huge low for his career either. It might, it might be one of the lowest rated films critically. um, And also maybe from the audience perhaps, but um, I don't think it was that low. Uh, I think it barely made money, um, but it wasn't low enough for anybody to be worried about, um, or for at least him to be worried about whether people are going to still see his films. Dude, it made yeah. thirty-one million off a budget of thirty million. That's like <laughs> almost a failure. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like if that's the lowest you can go, critically and financially, then I don't think that's too bad. You know, does no one have any like wonder ones? Nope. <laughs> 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 Every single Nolan film is hugely profitable. It's 
part yeah. of the reason why studios always want him back. And Warner Brothers completely messed that relationship up by um, just pretty much just uh, like they caked the relationship during the pandemic. Um, we, we never know exact reports. You know, these reports are always sort of rumors and stories about what's going on between studios and directors. But um, the rumor is that they Warner Brothers completely stuffed them over during the pandemic because they were wanting to um, release his film on streaming services, which is HBO Max. That's uh, Warner Brothers' streaming service. And they wanted Wait, to release it on HBO. First. HBO, yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Okay, that's cool. The boy you know. Too mm. um, I I get like this is like one of my biggest regrets. Like these days now, like before I go to bed, I watch YouTube a little bit. <laughs> I used to watch like, like YouTube, like real um, things on YouTube, right? Like food stuff or travel stuff or football stuff or whatever. And then I, I'm finding most people watch, right? Like real things. Don't well, yeah, but that's the thing. I find myself now, the reason why this is getting brought up is going to become apparent soon. Like I just end up like doom scrolling shorts, like reels. Oh my goodness. I do the same thing. And like it's somehow the, 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 the um, algorithm has decided that I love Sopranos. Cause I'm just watching like, little 30 second shorts of Sopranos. And that's the reason why this came up with HBO. Like, Mm. it's just like Soprano, Soprano, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Soprano. And I'm like, what what am I doing? I can spend like 45 minutes doing that shit. (laughs) Awful. (laughs) And did you like hit your laptop away or something or your phone or whatever? You threw it away? I don't don't get mad about it, but like I think about it afterwards and and kind of regret it. And hate your life. Yeah, because I'm a product manager. Like I know what they're doing. I should be able to see through this, and I can't. Like they get me, and they get me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but but you're not the only one, right? Like people in their own professions, um, they understand the industry so well. Years down the line, would mm. still fall for their own products, right? Yeah, um, especially so. when it comes to marketing and product management and product design. It's like you, you understand what these systems are designed for, and you you might even be the brainchild behind it, right? Yeah. It's still going to work on you. Yeah. But that, that's, that's both good. a credit and uh, criticism, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, that's the thing. It's painful. Like, for me, like, there's times where, like, yeah, I'll just, like, watch it, watch it. And then I'll be thinking to myself, oh, I don't want them to think I like this. I'll skip ahead of this one. But then it's, like, the next Soprano it. clips. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I'll sit on this for a while. I want more Sopranos clips. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. Well, so Django Unchained, with a budget of $100 million, went on to make $425.3 million, so just under four twenty-six, which is pretty damn good. Is that I think better that's than probably, Yeah, I think it's um his, to, to up until this point, it's his most profitable film. Oh, yeah, 321 off 70. Yeah. Is, there you um, go. And I, I believe, I believe I'm, we're going to get to that other movie, like one of his last ones. Well, no, it, it is his last one, Adventure. And I think that one made a little bit more than Jago Unchained, but that is yet to discover. Um, this was surprisingly released on Christmas Day. I don't even remember nice. that release on Christmas Day in 2012. Um, currently sitting at a Rotten Tomatoes score with the critic rating of 87%. And the audience rating of 92. So classic Tarantino film, still consistent with this type of Rotten Tomatoes score where the audience rating is always a little slightly higher. It's never dramatically higher because I think the critics and the audience almost see eye to eye with 
Tarantino films for most of the most of the time. At least that's what we've discovered doing the Legacy series. Mm. Um, but generally, and, the, the critics like it less, right? Like yeah, yeah, but but it's never, like yeah, it's never too far apart from what the audience think and feel. Has there been a film where it's like been real different? I, I I'm unaware. I of I don't that. think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it's all been relatively close. Um, the critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes goes as bold, bloody, and stylistically daring. Django Unchained is another incendiary masterpiece from Quentin Tarantino. I get the feeling that you would have to agree with that, right, Tony? Oh, perfect. It's perfect. It's a masterpiece. Maybe you wrote the consensus. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm as good with words, but um, I would say something similar. I would say very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie stars Jamie Foxx as Django, Christopher Waltz as Dr. King Schultz, Leonardo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy, Kerry Washington as Broomhilda von Shaft, Samuel L. Jackson playing Stephen, and Don Johnson plays Big Daddy. Ah, oh, um, Big Daddy, I know that guy now. I was like, yes. who's Big Daddy? But he's the uh, first plantation owner. That's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, ready to get into some first impressions? Yeah. Should we do you because you're negative <laughs> and then we finish up on a high? <laughs> All right. Let's get into some first impressions with a small transition. Ooh. So um, I hate this movie. Moving on. No. <laughs> You don't hate it. No, one can <laughs> no hate I, I don't hate it. Okay, well, let's. Um, I might just start with uh, what I like about this movie. I think I do really enjoy the characters. Um, I enjoy Christoph Waltz. Yeah, and and I actually think his character is the least interesting one. But for some reason, I enjoy his charisma, his presence. What do you mean he's the least interesting one? Because he has no growth. Yeah, you don't know much about him. You don't really. There's there's not a lot of peeking behind the curtain of uh, Christoph Waltz. All we know about him is that he's a bounty hunter. Yeah. Um, he works for the law, supposedly, which is never really confirmed whether he whether he's actually working for the for the law. He's just he's just Yoda, dude. Like that's Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If Yoda was a killing in... machine, <laughs> but he's like the infallible good guy who. Mm. Um... I mean, I guess dies, but like, yeah, like he's just like that great guy. I just take it all at face yeah. value, man. He, he works for the law. Yeah, I like I, I find him enjoyable just because I think it's Christoph Waltz. I think if yeah. anybody else played that character, it'd probably be quite dull. And I'm not trying to diminish anybody else's talents doing that. It's just I think the character is quite one note. He was, um, yeah. And there's nothing really that interesting about the character other than he seems like a conduit to move the story forward. Um, uh, I, I like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor that we said last there. Don Johnson. Um, Don Johnson, yeah, playing Big Daddy. Like, I really like this actor, Don Johnson. Yeah, he does a good job. He's, he's such a great actor. Um, he's one of my favorite characters in Knives Out. You know, he's in Knives Out as well. Who is he? Oh, is he the racist? He's the dad. No, no, no. no. He's, he's the dad. He's the dad. Are you sure he's not like... He, he's like the dad. Not not the granddad that dies. Yeah, isn't he murdered. the um the loser husband or something like that? No, he's oh. the he's the husband that wears the pants on the family kind of thing. And, he's the one and, and that he's like, the one that has the affair. Oh. He, he has the affair, and and is, the granddad the always gets um Anna de Armas's heritage wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah that guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah, always he's like, the, yeah, this is this is so and so from Paraguay. And, uh, yeah. and he says, like, Uruguay another time. 
yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> he, he's, he's just such a very, very good actor, and I, I want to see him in more films. Uh, so it's a shame that we don't get to see him a lot in this. We see him for a brief moment. He, um, he's got a fair amount of time, I'd say. Like, I feel like the I guess so. But when you when you think of the actors in this, like you think of Leo, you think of Jamie Fox, Christoph yeah. Waltz. Um, so yeah, he's not a man. Yeah. So he was quite good. I like Leo in this. Um, but I think it's just because I like Leo. He's a talented dude. (laughs) Oh, so you don't think like this is one of Leo's better roles? I don't think so. No, he's, he's, he's done so many roles. I don't think it's his top five. It's definitely his top 10 role. Yeah. I mean, are are we meant to like, sort of uh, like discuss during these things? I guess so. Right. You can, you can discuss. Not really. (laughs) Oh no. This is like my impression. <laughs> this is uh, my time, Tony. Shush. Yeah. Um I mean Leo is just good. And I think his character um is fine. And and I think that's the way I feel about all these characters in this film. And the reason why I think it's fine, because I think the story is one of the most contrived stories I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> there, there is so much effort put in to this idea of we're, we're going to um, – <laughs> how do I put this? Okay, so we're, we're going to look for these people because I need to kill these people. Mm. And then in repayment, I will do what you were, you would like to do, or whatever your request is, which is to save your wife. I think because that is the hinge to getting to the real meat of it, which is the real story, it just th- that's the contrived aspect to it. And, and then I think when we even unfold the story, it's sort of the story is made out to be like there's lots of fireworks in the way they do the story, but the story is so shallow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's a rescue mission. That's really, that's really what it is. It's the rescue mission. And, and it makes me think like, why even go through this small piece of purpose? Like what, what Christoph Waltz's character is like, why even write in this kind of subplot in order for, for him to just, for his character to get, Jamie Foxx's character on board um, just to then get to the meat and potatoes of the story, which is rescuing the wife. Like I, I, I sort of looked at the story when, when it finished. I was like, why didn't you just make the story about the rescue anyway and find a better reason to get Jamie Foxx's character um, in line with mm, his purpose? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, cause as soon as that happened, I was like, really, that was the, that was the only reason why you wanted to kill the brothers. <laughs> That it was a mission. That it was like it was a bounty. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, it was, like, it was a bounty. Right? It, it was a bounty. Yes, yes, but like, um, the 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 way the movie is supposed to be about Jamie Foxx's character rescuing his wife or his girlfriend, whatever, right? I mean, that's, technically, that's the main plot. That's the main story. I don't understand why he would have written the story about him having to do his bounty mission in order for us to then be revealed that story. It doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, okay. Um, it's like you could have you, you yeah. could have you could have just turned it into a kidnap story and find, I don't know, a deeper reason. Maybe maybe that reason has got to do with like him being tied to somebody at the plantation and then he needs Jamie Foxx's character to get to that. And and then and then there's a like sort of a better negotiation and agreement or whatever. 
I just didn't. But isn't that the same thing though? He needs Jamie Foxx's character in order to do. Like, are you saying that if he needed Jamie Foxx's character to do something at Calvin Candy's land, mm-hmm. um, that would have tied it a bit closer? Is that what, you, is that what yeah, you're saying? Well, there's two separate stories going on, right? The bounty, yeah. and then in repayment, he's going to help him with whatever he needs help with. Yeah, which is getting his 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 girlfriend. There's, I'm saying you don't need to have the bounty story in there because it's got nothing to do with. See, I disagree <laughs> with that. I think because I really appreciated the bounty story, mainly because again, like this is like if you've been listening to a lot of these, and I doubt anyone has. Sounds <laughs> 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 bad, but like you know that I care about like sort of these plots and things making sense. Like this movie, you know, it's like a cool power trip on on slavery and racism, but. The latter part of the movie only really works if Jamie Foxx's character is really confident. Like, that's, like, his characterization in that part of the film. And he's only confident because he's got all these skills. He's only got these skills because he's actually a trained bounty hunter. Uh, Like, I I feel like the movie kind of falls apart if, like, I would be asking, he's just a slave. How does he know how to shoot a gun so good? Like, that would be me, right? If if it just somehow shot to the end. But But then this is the problem here is that there's not enough time passed to realise that he has enough skill and experience to be able to do whatever he needs to do by the end. No, there's a, there's a montage. <laughs> you know what it's, I love a montage. It's like the passage of time is, is, is very, very short. It's There, there isn't an illusion to, to show us that he's gone on this great training. Yeah, there's really, like, there's like a, a montage of like multiple jobs he's doing. There's like lots of statements of he's a natural. He's like killing stuff off the snowman real well. Like mm-hmm. it's implied he gets very weathered by the end. But like I felt like that whole part of the plot was one, like just entertaining to watch Two, but it gave a lot of characterization for why Christoph Waltz might actually want to sacrifice everything for Jamie Foxx. Cause like they grow very close during that time. And like, yeah, it, it's sort of like, I see this as like an origin story of a superhero with Jamie Foxx being that superhero. Mm-hmm. Like, like Christoph Waltz is his Ra's al Ghul, but not evil. <laughs> I suppose so. But I just, I just, think that the contrived part of that story is having to do that mission in the beginning. I think that there could have been a more interesting way to create a story that would connect, have a better bridge to connect what the the actual story is once we get to the end and get to the plantation. Candyland. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I agree. I just think that, like, when you say contrived, and, like, technically I guess it is, right, just like anything else is, but, like... <laughs> He needs him to do a job. It is his job to do it. And then he doesn't like slavery, so he wants to offer a deal. Like, I just feel like that's adequately contrived, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if, <laughs> if adequately contrived, yeah, sure. I mean, it could I kind be. of like, it, it, yeah, definitely it's like a situation to move a plot forward, um, but not in a way that felt unrealistic to me or artificial. Yeah. I just think it would have been more interesting to, to have something to, do, to tie the beginning towards the end. I kind of like that it wasn't tied together because, um, again, like there's a lot of growth that happens. Like there's a montage of like a year passing, right, for Jamie to get really, really good. If everything was tied around Calvin Candy, then I'm not sure they would have had enough time, like enough content to make that work for that amount of time. Oh, for sure. You have two hours and 45 minutes to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Like I feel like – and also like – John we don't Ross even we don't even reach those other characters until about forty five minutes into the film. Maybe an so hour. It's it's, it's I, a long time. 
One of the reasons, I guess, also is that I just find the Don Johnson um, job just a fun job to watch. And I also really find the, um, like, the saloon job a really fun job to watch. And that's probably one of the... Actually, no, we're not meant to discuss too much at this point, right? Or should We've we? Already, you've already we're interrupted already my entire, like, impressions. <laughs> you, can, you can talk shit about mine. Nah, I know how to stick to structure here. Oh, yeah, well, you're the pro. I'm just a rando guest. Um, yeah, so, so like the, the 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 story just has this kind of contrived spirit to it that just seems so drawn out, so long, and I don't think it was really necessary to have. If you're going to have this kind of runtime, there there was ways that he could have cleverly cut this film. Coming off of like Inglorious Bastards, that was an, a very efficient story that had multiple subplots that all worked congruent for the main story. And, and I think that was, that was a perfect example of how he connects the entire movie from beginning to end. And this one just feels a little bit disconnected from the fact that he, yes, he's on a mission and he's trying to teach Django some useful, skillful, well, useful, skillful, useful skills to be able to execute a mission towards the end. Um, but like, I think there, there's there's far more efficient ways that he could have done this, and creating a story that that had something to do with uh, Candyland in the first place. I think that would have been a bit more interesting. And so I just feel this disconnect, like from the beginning, all the way to when we get up to meeting Leo's character. And there's, there's just so much kind of lingering, and I think a lot of this lingering happens um, quite a bit in Hateful Eight as well. When but that's probably the next movie that we get to watch. Mm. It's quite a lot of that meandering and lingering that goes on in this film, and I was just finding myself a little bit bored. <laughs> and yeah, and then my the last point about this like is Django's character is kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, I find his character he, a little bit boring. He's the protagonist. He's 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 not <laughs> for 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 him to have the title, you know, the working title for this film. Yeah. His name is on the the title itself. It's he's a pretty boring character. I think the other characters are far more interesting. That's pretty um, common, right? Where the like supporting is like significantly more entertaining than the main. Like if you look at like the fighter, for example. I don't uh, know if it's common. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of examples out there, but I don't think it's common. I think you'll find that the vast majority of films where the main actors are usually better than the supporting. Oh, like Han Solo is better than Luke. <laughs> is uh, he? I think that's I reckon he's more entertaining, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people would agree with you. Really? Han Solo is not more entertaining than Luke Skywalker. You guys are crazy. Well, I mean if, if you're Rogue asking and Farm Boy, but sorry. Th- they would conflate those those two sentiments though, you know. Entertaining, yeah, Han Solo is more entertaining. But they would just conflate the idea of entertainment and the lovable character as being Luke Skywalker and no one else. Okay, I disagree with that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised yeah, you don't. I mean, Han Solo is definitely a more like sort of entertaining dude to watch. No, I I agree with you. He's more charismatic. He's more yeah, fun yeah, to watch. Sure. But I'm he's saying like that the the fan community would just conflate those two things. Yeah, if, okay. if if you were just to explicitly say no, 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 I'm talking about like fun. It's I mean they'll probably think about it and be like, yeah, true, that's right. <laughs> but who do you light up for when they're on the screen? It's yeah, fun. I want I want hard lines. Uh, like the community would be behind Luke Skywalker every single day. Anyway, so that's what I I think about Django, and and I think I'm going to be able to piece together more things as we go through the plot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should I? I'll do my. I'll try to be quick with mine because I know where we're running a bit late, right? <laughs> running a bit long because you keep interrupting 
Yeah, I know. Well, no, but we're getting this stuff out early. The things I mm-hmm. say now, I won't say later, presumably. All right, highlights. Love the film. Love it. I think it's the best. Um, as you said, Christoph Waltz, super fun. I love that he is this super charming dude. He's got a really like strong vocabulary, and it like confuses everyone. I find that fun. I, I guess, yeah. One of the main things I love about this film is that it is fun, just all the way through. Like the first job, fun. The first conversation that he has with Django, like he's just this really charming guy, and he's like, "Hey, you know, slaves, I'm gonna like unlock you. You can let this guy up." Or you can shoot him. I don't know. I'm going to leave now. Bye-bye. Like, that's just, he's just a fun guy, and every scene he's in is fun because of it. But, like, the saloon job, the uh, big, what is it? Big daddy job. Like, they're all entertaining. I do think that, like, the plot does meander when you sort of get to the Calvin Candy part. And I gen, like, I, I do find it slow there. And that's why I kind of disagree with you when you say you could remove the first half. Because to me, the first half is where, where all the fun is, right? Like the Calvin Candy part is the part that actually gets kind of heavy and bogged down. But you need that because you need to create Calvin as this villain. Because I think Inglorious Bastards had it kind of easy where it's Hitler. You don't have to give background to Hitler because it's Hitler. So you can be efficient. And like, this is the story of one guy you know, getting freed, um, getting skilled, and then having this revenge fantasy, like sort of taking slavery and just sort of turning it on its head. And that requires, like, you need to build this character up and then break him down again and then let him have that, like, triumphant moment. Whereas I feel like in Glorious Bastards, again, the villain is, like, obviously evil. So it's just, like, these different streams building up to, like, one one moment. But I guess what what I like about this film, as opposed to like that one, is that yeah, this one is fun all the way through. I agree that like Django is not that entertaining, but I still find him quite entertaining. If you know what I mean, I'm not sure you do. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, like Christoph Waltz is definitely the most charismatic guy there. I think Django, like the confident uh, black guy i suppose and everyone like why did you hesitate to say that because <laughs> i didn't you know, i'm not sure what i'm allowed to say um because this movie like they throw that word around a lot right but like yeah like everyone being shocked by him then you got samuel L. jackson as like the uh the, like the house slave who's like really bought into it and then you've got like leo dicaprio as a guy who's like really chewing up the scenery and i just again like it's fun to watch him be this over-the-top evil character. I just find it entertaining to to watch. So, like, I guess my overall stance is that I don't think this film is, like, as dramatically powerful as Inglorious. I don't think this film is, like, probably not as well-acted, if I had to guess. I don't know. But, like, I do think that, like, it's a fun ride from beginning to end, and all of the characters are kind of over-the-top in their own ways, and I kind of gravitate towards those kind of films. Excelente. That's what they say in it as well. Excelente. Who, who says that? No, they don't. <laughs> oh. um, so if it's your first time here listening to this, we are going to get into the recap. That is us walking through the plot and picking up pieces, dissecting it, throwing it around, seeing what we come up with and perhaps sway our opinion uh, opposite to how we thought about certain parts of the film. Um, and that's that's what... That's the whole point of the recap. Should we get into it? Let's do it. 
Okay, so opening scene, 1858 Texas Brothers Ace and Dickie Speck uh, drive a group of shackled black slaves on foot. Among them is Django, sold off and separated from his wife, Bomhilda von Schaft, a house slave who speaks German and English. They are... They are stopped by Dr. King Schultz, a German dentist turned bounty hunter, seeking to buy Django for his knowledge of the three outlaw Brittle Brothers. Overseas, uh, overseers? Overseers? <laughs> overseers. Yeah, it's, it's. I was like, what is that? Overseas. Overseers yeah. <laughs> at the plantation of Django's previous owner and for him, whom Schultz has a warrant. When Ace refuses to sell Django to Schultz and threatens to threatens him at gunpoint, Schultz kills him and shoots Dickie's horse in order to pin him to the ground. He advises the free slaves to take the opportunity for revenge. Schultz offers Django his freedom and $75 in exchange for help tracking down the Brittles. Opening scene, we're in the forest. It's very, very dark. What did you think of the scene? I love this scene. You know, like... Of course, you love everything about this movie. I do love, oh, I don't love everything, but I love a lot. Like, yeah, like, if we compare it to Inglorious, yeah, is it as, like, tense and as, like, serious as um, that first scene? Probably not. But he is equally as charming, uh, Christoph Waltz, in this film. And I think, like, you get a good sense of the characters in this scene, uh, mainly Christoph Waltz. Like, he's shot him in the, in the head, and he's shot the horse so that he goes down, and then he actually still pays him. For the slaves, that's true. You know, you know what I find weird about um, no, weird, weird is not the right word. Christoph Waltz, okay, he he has this like Shakespearean sort of thespian charm to him, doesn't he? Yeah, every every, every every time he says lines, it feels like he's saying the lines. It, it feels he- like he's acting, but like usually that's a bad criticism. Mm. You, know, you know, when actors are just reading lines mm. and bad acting is when you can tell they're just reading lines. For some reason, Christoph Waltz feels like he's reading lines, but he feels believable. Yeah. Is that, is that, I, I, do you get that like, feeling? Is, is it because like his uh, vocabulary is so like much more advanced than everyone else in this film? I think it's the same in, in, um, in Glorious Bosses as well. He's kind of similar in that too. He's he just feels like a character that is classically a character on screen, and it doesn't. He doesn't feel like a method actor. He doesn't feel like he feels like a fictional character. <laughs> you know? Yeah, kind of like like, he, like an NPC or something. He almost feels yeah, a little I bit think, like that. And, and again, you think he's like like the way he delivers his lines and the way he and, delivers and the lines, types yeah. of words that he's saying. Mm. Like he's like sort of like, and I find it like in this film in particular. It, he's weaving around everyone. Mm. Like, he's just, like, you know, there's, there's so many times where well, he's tiptoeing like, a, lot, right? a lot. What's that? He's tiptoeing a lot. Well, he, no, but he's tiptoeing a lot, but he also speaks intelligently. And, and people, like, just don't understand what he's saying a lot of the time. It's yeah. actually part of the plot. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this got started because in Inglorious, like, that kind of happens as well with him and Brad Pitt's character. Mm. Where he's like speaking, so he's speaking. Brad Pitt's like, ah. yeah. <laughs> it's like it's. Uh, I I feel like Tarantino chooses him for these types of characters because he's good at delivering intelligent words in a script yeah. or something like that. You know, 
So yeah, he always, he always I, feels like this, like theatrical thespian or something, you know, that's ready to deliver word lines. And it's just fun because, like, the like when like when he shows up on the screen, you have got this little like tooth squeaking away. Yeah, that's and, right. Like, yeah, walking up, yeah. like you're just like, what the hell's going on? And then he talks, and he's so charming. And then like he's like, you know, please don't pull your gun out. And then just like yeah. he's bang bang. Like you get a sense that one, he's super skilled. Two, he's a fair guy. Three, mm. like he doesn't really like slavery. And then yeah. at the end, when he's like, hey, you know what? You guys could take their clothes and you can, like, kill them or you could let them go and go back to being a slave. Mm. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, kind of like a power fantasy of being Christoph Waltz. And that's what I feel like this film is. It's, like, just mm. power fantasies all the way through, which I love. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of what makes him a little bit threatening is that he's he's gentle, he's calm. Mm. And one could say that that's probably because he's a dentist. You know, he has to be quite calm, collective, I don't know how long um, since he's been a dentist, but yeah. Well, that's kind of like <laughs> unsure, but maybe that's the reason why Tarantino decide, decided to make him a dentist or something because he's he does have this calm demeanor to him. And so, every single dentist I've ever met in my life, they're always calm. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Actually, reading ahead, though, I noticed that he goes straight to Big Daddy's farm, so I really want to talk about the um, saloon scene. Okay, so, um, yeah. but before we get to that, there was one yeah. thing that really annoyed me about this opening oh. scene. What's that? Is the lighting annoyed the hell out of me? <laughs> Too dark, or what's going on? No, no, no. There's there's all this very artificial lighting in the mm. forest. So when, when you're looking at the slaves, for example, or any other characters, there's there's a strong spotlight <laughs> just on, on them. them. And and I know it's supposed to be the moon, but it just looks too artificial. It looks. You had the four K version. You had the four K version. <laughs> it was just it's too it's too lit up. Like it's too bright for a dark sequence. And and I know like th- this is not something that a lot of people are going to pick up. People are just going to be like, oh yeah, it's a dark scene. Yeah. yeah. But um, you know, hopefully, hopefully me saying this and anybody that's listening to it, oh yeah, actually it was like weirdly lit up. And and uh, like, I'm I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like shit on anybody's skills at um film filmmaking and the lighting director should (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's it's just a criticism and i know how difficult it is to shoot at night like i know how difficult that is but it just annoyed me so much i was like oh if they had a slightly better gaffer on this uh maybe another gaffer gaffer for the people at home like a head of lighting oh yeah because obviously we both know what that is but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just annoyed me i was like oh man the lighting's putting me off (laughs) um anyway that that was that was all i want to say and and there was a funny moment in this and and this is where um we get our first glimpses of humor in this um when um schultz is he's trying to do something and he's holding his his shock oh yeah i love this bit and and then he goes and then he goes hey could you just hold this for a second the guy's like what (laughs) yeah i love it how the slaves are holding it like it's so good the confidence, the confidence, and the trust that he has on people, but but he's yeah. also intelligent. He knows, like he he knows who who the people are around him. He's very aware of his surroundings. Yeah, like he just comes across as ridiculously charming, ridiculously uh, capable, and like it, it's cool just to have like a protagonist like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, shall we move on to the next part then? Wait, I, yeah, I wanted to talk about the saloon scene because like this this synopsis cuts it. I it does it. <laughs> Yeah, it goes like straight to they go to the Big Daddy's farm. Oh, okay. So, I love the saloon scene. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Like, this is the like when I saw this because again, 
watching Django Unchained, I'm pretty sure I saw this before in Glorious Bastards, and I've kind of had this did, yeah. mentality that... Well, you hadn't um, seen in Glorious Bastards until we did this, didn't we? No, 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 I, I saw it once before. Oh. But I think I saw Django first, and like I think I had this idea that Quentin Tarantino had like really gory, serious films, and so... This first scene was when I realized, oh, okay, I think I'm in for something different. Because, like, when they okay, when they first come into town and everyone's, like, looking at them all weird, they're all serious. And then it's just funny when he, um, like, he goes into the saloon and he's, like, offends the guy. And then he says, you know, get the marshal. Or get the sheriff, not the marshal. You need to get the sheriff. And I'm like, what's going on here? Um, and then, like, the beer pouring scene. Like, I think you know beer's better than I do. That was a very visually pleasing scene i thought tarantino does this a lot in his films you know we, we, we yeah. spoke about this i think in um death proof death proof they were oh, gorgeous no, we, we also yeah we know we also spoke about it in um jackie brown like the, he does a lot of these close-ups where people like human beings are doing things you know close-ups on the hands that's right with jackie brown like just sort of picking the the, like carpet carpet, yeah, the yeah. thing yeah. yeah like when he's like pouring the beer tap 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 scrape it off the top yeah it's attention to detail that tarantino loves to do which is great yeah i really love that and like just the conversation of what's happening in this scene like you, you're, you're getting that like information sharing of like you as an audience member, you don't know what the hell's going on. Like, why did he come in here, tell this guy to get the sheriff after pissing him off? So you've got that question burning in your head. But then you've also got him explaining to Django, like, later plot. And I find it, like, it was a cool thing in that it allowed me to be interested in what was happening now, but also learn about the future. And it didn't feel like an information dump, which in actual effect it kind of was. Yeah. The thing I appreciate about the scene is um, how Jamie Fox plays his character in this he's a bit of a fish out, out of water right mm. he's never he's never presumably just by his reaction he's never drunk beer before you know he's yeah, very right yeah. he, he was very careful with the beer if you pay close attention he was very careful with sipping it and he, mm. he took some time to sort of think about what that sip was and he was kind of like oh that's kind of good and then he took yeah. another little sip he didn't he didn't take gulps or anything he just took sips which tells you a lot about the character in a very very subtle way um <laughs> There's some continuity issues in this scene. Oh, what's, what's going on? <laughs> They're drinking beer. I think it's continuity. It's it's editing issues. <clears throat> when I think it's Christoph Waltz's character first, he takes quite a big sip, and then a couple of moments later, we see that the beer hasn't really been drunken. It's sort of almost back to the top. <laughs> Not all, all the way back to the top, but it's always always back to the top. Like Doctor Strange beer. That's all it is. Kind of like Doctor Strange beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I always pay attention to these types of things. I don't know why. I think it's just be, um, anything that characters are doing on screen when it comes to eating, drinking, um, I don't know, playing a board game or something, right? When characters are doing stuff like that, I yeah, like to pay sure. close attention just to see how well they're... Like in yeah. like Ocean's Eleven, are you like just constantly glued to the screen? Then, like whenever Brad Pitt's on, you're just like, oh, he's <laughs> when he's eating, yeah, because <laughs> he eats um, every time, right? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. Like the the thing about eat, the, some of those eating sequences, I don't know if this is true for Ocean's Eleven, but I know this is true for most films. Let's just say most films, at least with the ones that I've researched, when they're doing those eating sequences, they're actually filming chronologically. Oh, yeah. Because it's too hard for actors to like, you know, spit out and then 
eat more and can you imagine if you had to do like 20 takes yeah, like, <laughs> a lot of them don't like have you seen like you know crusty he's like Crusty? Like, oh, you know, uh, oh, you know, you're on a Simpsons guy, are you? No, I don't watch Simpsons. So there's this episode where he's like selling Crusty Burger, and he advertises it, and he like takes a big bite, and he's chew, 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 and then like they go cut, and he spits it out, and it's like, oh, some of it. Look, I have no doubt there's there's some some films out there where there are some actors where they're spitting up because they probably need to do the scenes again, and again. But um, good directors would probably not give a lot of sophisticated dialogue during eating sequences, you know, eating sequences just to make it easier for the actor, because otherwise, otherwise you kind of lose track on what the focus is for that particular actor on their character. Right. And I think good directors know how to choose their scenes correctly on when a character is eating and when a character is drinking. Generally, like some of the best scenes out there when they're eating and drinking, it's usually because like there's a bit of downtime, right? Yeah, there's, there's there's a little bit of like, hey, let's just hang out a little bit, or let's wait for this mission to fall over a little bit, or something like that. And if you notice in all the Ocean's Eleven stuff, every time Brad Pitt is eating, he doesn't say a lot, and w- w- whatever he says is usually just a res- like a small response or a reaction to like whatever the and character. He's usually is. finishing up too. He's usually finishing up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's usually just like you know, yeah, type of stuff. I yeah. remember that 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 point where he's like eating the burrito, I think, and then he's like. Oh, he's he's having a bit of a stomach issue. <laughs> oh right, yeah. And, I and, that. and yeah. that eating sequence was just all about him having the stomach issue. So clever ways of doing character yeah. eating scenes. Anyway, that, that was a bit of a sidetrack, but um, yeah, I, I I do like the salon scene, and I do like how it establishes Schultz's character a lot more because I think this is the biggest type of establishment or development that we get of the character mostly because because later on in the film it's it starts to become more about Django, which makes well, sense. It, it, it becomes a large part of the plot. Cause like he does it a few times where he like kind of finesses his way into a situation. Yep. And like, I like it because it shows one, how sort of intelligent you have to be to be a bounty hunter. Um, two, it's just humorous. And three, like when, when Django gets captured at the end, it becomes like a major turning point yep. of how he gets his revenge. Yeah. Schultz's um, character is almost like a character out of time. It's like, he's, his intelligence is ahead of everybody else. Cause, yeah. cause he, even the sheriff of the town is like, what are you talking about? And then even, even when we get to, uh, daddy, no, not daddy, big daddy, yeah. big daddy. When we get to big daddy's plantation, he starts to spit a bit of knowledge about like law enforcement and, and how he's, yeah. like, he's an agent of the law. And the guy's like, okay, sure. And then he shows them his papers. Yeah. And then he looks at it, and I don't think he probably understands anything on that paper. <laughs> so he can't just yeah, he probably can't read. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like, you got to get out. He's like, okay. It was like post-haste or something like that. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> And like, it's just funny when he's like, get the sheriff, not the marshal. And then mm. he gets him, and then he just shoots him in the street. We never meet the marshal, right? No, he does. And then he's like, now get the marshal. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And so That's he gets right, the yeah. marshal. And then like, it's just funny. It's like, you know, I want to, what is it like? Um, can you confirm for me that you won't shoot me in the street like a dog? And he's like, like you did to my ma- like like you did to my sheriff. And he's like, yes, exactly like that. <laughs> can you promise not to do that? And he's like, okay. Like it's just yeah, it's it's a fun scene where you get a lot of his charisma. It's kind of like you're not sure what's going to happen, so you're kind of glued to the screen. And then the the end result is actually just fun. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, moving on. All right. <laughs> Django, Django and Schultz killed the Brittle Brothers at Spencer Big Daddy Bennett's Tennessee plantation. 
In turn, Bennett pursues them with an armed posse. Sheltzum ambushes the posse with explosives, and Janko kills Bennett, feeling Actually, responsible. Should we stop here? Because there's a we, fair. We should stop here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this yeah, is a very, very quick couple of lines for a cool scene. That's probably my favorite scene in the whole film. It feels like <laughs> thirty minutes of content. Yeah, or not, it, not maybe, maybe, maybe not thirty. Yeah, it does feel like a bit of. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a hefty scene, but it's a fun, hefty scene. Yeah. Um. So just to explain that scene, like, you know, super quick, it's it's the KKK scene or quote, unquote, the KKK. No, no, but even before that, you want to talk about the stuff of, like, actually killing the Brittle Brothers? Because I think, like... Oh, again, oh, that part, okay. Yeah, even that part. Like, I feel like, one, it's kind of funny where he's like, what do you want to wear? And, and Jacob's like, no one's ever told me what I want to, like, ask me what I want yeah. to wear. Yeah. And then he puts on, like, this bright blue... <laughs> Um, like, outfit like seventeenth century outfit. Yeah, and everyone's like, "What the hell are you wearing?" Like, this is the stupidest <laughs> thing ever. And again, it kind of like and that would have been. It's it. funny because that costume yeah. would have been a costume for that time. Exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it would have been weird for that time. Yeah. And I feel like it's again like a lot of these early scenes are just showing the relationship that Christoph Waltz and Jamie Fox has. Like he's like, "I hate slavery. Let's have a deal. Let's come to an agreement." It's like you know, you can wear what you want. I will train you. Like it, it's. Um, I enjoy that part of it, but also, uh, I, again, I've considered, I've called this film like sort of power fantasy or revenge fantasy or like just a different take on slavery. This is the first scene where you get that, where it's like Django whipping the the Brittle Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just enjoyed sort of that scene, that visualization, um, and let, it let me kind of know that this is like a different film. Yeah, I do, I do like the cuts and the edits in in this part as well, where we're seeing like the moments that sort of slight suspense of Django intersecting at the point on which the female character, the black female character um, is about to get whipped, but doesn't end up getting whipped. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's nice pieces of cutting and editing here, which is kind of cool. But then <clears throat> when Django eventually gets his revenge or it's like chapter one of revenge, right. Um, it's somewhat satisfying, I guess. I find um, it very satisfying, personally. Because <laughs> you see him being, like... Because you get that flashback of, like, them burning the R into their face and them trying to run away but not making it. Mm. And, I, and I feel like this film... Like, I think this has been, like, a bit of a... Um, negativity in the film that, like, some critics think that I don't think so. Like, he, like uh, Tarantino goes out of his way to make slavery look as brutal as possible at all times. Like, it is overly gruesome in this film, I feel like. And that just, to me, makes it better when Django gets his series of revenges. <laughs> I don't think the slavery is depicted that brutal in this. That's what people say. I don't think it is either. Like, I, I, mean, no, look, I mean, the Mandingo fights are pretty bad. Yeah. Are you, you're talking about the um, the bedding inside the house? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's bad. But, like, that's not really slavery per se. The slavery sequences that people are referring to is – like you compare it to like all the other slavery movies, it's not that bad. Like it, the, this movie doesn't really strike me as um, a beautiful, accurate presentation on slavery. It doesn't really give me that vibe. It's more slavery is part of the story, but slavery yeah. is, is more so kind of like a wagon to. It's a vehicle for the story. Like yeah, it, to me, for the actual like, story, which well, is the rescue part, but. Yeah, like to me, slavery is akin to World War Two. Like you, you're getting a fun, like sort of revenge movie set in World War Two, and this is like a really fun revenge movie set in slavery. Like 
still yeah. a power fantasy on both sides. Yeah. But yeah. they're not accurate depictions of um of slavery. No, no, no. And, and and I think this is where um where I'm I'm not entirely on board with um with the way the film is depicted because slavery is definitely a a, a huge part of this. It's, it's like the clothes, mm. let's say. <laughs> it's like the clothes of the body. <laughs> um there's I, I think a mistake that I've made is is when I'm looking at a film like this, I expect there to be some kind of emotional gravitas, but there's zero emotional gravitas <laughs> like in, in this movie. It's like the slavery aspect is like it's supposed to have some emotional impact, which doesn't have that. And and I know it's like it's it's almost the same way that he does in Glorious Bastards, right? And Glorious Bastards doesn't mm-hmm. really have an emotional impact. It's all no. about the fun, the crazy gargantuan over the top story that that is but for some reason that movie just works really really well with this one it's kind of like okay there's slavery and there's some you see some hideous sides of slavery but then you also see the like the way he's handling the whole slavery thing it's just like it's hard to kind of make any let's say uh, not credence, but it's hard to reconcile any of these things that he has on in the story. See, I, I disagree. Like, I agree with the sentiment. I suppose, like, I feel like Inglorious Bastards is is significantly more serious all the way through the film, and that's why you might feel a sense of like a bit more weight, right? Because like, the, it only gets wacky and fun whenever the bastards are on the screen, which is actually not that often. Whereas, I feel like. Yeah, this film, it's like it takes slavery and turns it into like a black exploitation revenge film, mm. which, like, yeah, it, it, it's not going to have the emotional weight because Django is just going to murder everyone. Yeah, yeah. And I, for one, just sort of like enjoy that aspect of it. And so, and, and maybe that's where the disconnect is for me is that like there's, there's super severe slavery on one hand and you see a lot of it graphically. Yeah. But then, but then you have this like revenge tale that's taking place at the same time it's like i i just don't think those two things are matching up as well as it should i feel like they do because like the catharsis like you see the brutality you see how terrible people are and then you see them all get murdered like i just yeah but but you know you know when, when you're doing stories when you're doing movies your your sole purpose is to create characters that you really care about yeah. and an example is like if Django died i probably wouldn't have cared <laughs> That's fair, because like I, because like like I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm think. not I'm not connected to any of these characters in that way. So, um, like if if your hero, if if your protagonist is the shining light for him to succeed by the end of this film, yeah, I like the way the whole story is put together. I probably wouldn't have cared that much if Django didn't succeed at the end. The thing for me is... I would like, vouch for Schultz a lot more. If, if Schultz... Yeah. When Schultz died, if, if Schultz I was, was really the hero, mean. I was like, cool, sweet. If, if he if he's the hero, I'm on board. But then when he died, I was like, no. Oh. He was kind of my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, when Schultz died, I was sad about it. But to be honest, I didn't feel like... like I felt like we didn't need Schultz from that point onwards. Like It becomes just pure action sequence after that. Yeah. But like to me, yeah, you're right. Like if if Django dies, I'm not too concerned. Like this film to me is more like a, a John Wick or an Equalizer in the sense that I'm not really rooting for John Wick. Yeah, I'm rooting. I, for I'd agree that it's more like the, a John Wick type thing situation. Yeah, it, it, you're not rooting for John Wick to win. You're rooting for. Have you seen John Wick? I've only seen number one. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You're rooting for the son to die. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm rooting for all the slave people to die more than I am rooting for Jamie Foxx to win. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's I'm and, so, and so and so that's why I'm I'm like I'm I'm not seeing and I'm not connecting with the story the same way that yourself and others that really love this yeah. film because it, it's it's got so much fandom behind it. Fandom no, it's got a lot of fans behind this film. It's huge. Love the year like, that. People people love this film. But I th- I think I, I just missed that character connection with this. Uh, yeah, I get what you're that saying. That should actually be in my summary. Why am I saying it now? <laughs> I mean, it's in the, it's the, the, the the gems are in the middle, right? You got you can't let people just go straight to the end. Mm. But anyway, sorry. Do we want to talk about, in my opinion, one of the best scenes in the film? KKK the party. <laughs> the KKK. Yeah. Talk about yes, it. let's talk about this scene. Which, hey, hey, real quick, by the way, Jonah Hill, he's in this... Oh, the, yes. This only scene. This is so weird. I didn't even know yeah. he was in the movie, and he's so good in it. Like <laughs> he doesn't even do. He doesn't do much. He says one line and it's oh, a couple of lines and it's funny. He's the guy that says like, you know, I think that the bags are a good idea, but let's not do bags. No, this no, no. Time. That, that's actually uh, Big Daddy. He says that. Oh, that's Don Johnson. Yeah, Don Johnson says that, and that's a funny delivery. But Jonah Hill just says. I'm just asking, like when he's when he criticizes about the holes in the back. <laughs> yeah, it's like again, I stand by this. It's the funniest scene that Tarantino has ever done, and he has delved into comedy quite often. Yeah, I think I think it's. Uh, I don't know if it's the funniest, but it's definitely up there with. I think a lot of the stuff he does in Inglorious is pretty funny, especially yeah. you know, like the Italian scene. And Inglorious, that's, that's yeah, pretty that's damn funny. funny. That's, funny. <laughs> that's pretty damn funny. I, I even like the scene where um, they're, they're getting the bullet out of um, Von Hammersmark's uh, leg, you know, when they're trying to devise, like, a plan, and the plan is, like, super shit. And he even yeah. says it. He's like, he's like, that plan's, it's dreadful. Like, what does he say? He's like, it's, it's shit. It's fu- he's like, yeah. fucking shit. What else we got? <laughs> yeah. so, you know, those scenes are quite funny. But, yeah, this KKK scene, it's hilarious. I was not ready for this. I was thinking this movie was always going to be a bit somber, somber and a bit gloomy, and a bit dark, and with a little bit of humor. Especially mm. when we 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 receive a little bit of that humor where Schultz gives the shotgun to the slave, yeah. um, and we hadn't seen any humor like all the way up until this KKK. It's been little touches, like just the costume, yeah. or yeah, yeah, little touches, yeah, yeah, little yeah. touches. But this is like a full on comedy, the full on comedy scene. And I can actually see someone not liking that part because it's like it's it's like Saturday Night Live, right? It's, it's over the top in its comedy. Yeah, like it's like a bit almost. But it's like I I loved it. Like I, I but I can totally like like what you said. I can totally understand why critics would probably say this was a scene that was out of place for the film because it doesn't mm. seem like it's in the same film <laughs> but yeah but to me it sets the tone a little bit but yeah you're right like nothing gets close to as funny as this going forward yeah it's yeah, but it's yeah. it's hilarious like, i think like all the characters in that scene where they have their own lines and granted us some of these lines are probably ad-libs too and how they're yeah. criticizing the wife and like the way she made the bags and stuff. yeah and they're like you know she wasn't like my jenning stayed up all night yeah, cutting all night. Holes in bags. <laughs> and then you, and like, you kind of see us the end of it and then one guy's like if you're just cutting holes in a bag i could have done that and like, <laughs> like no one's insulting like what it, no one's insulting jenny you know we all appreciate what she did <laughs> And then, yeah. and then another character is like, I can't fucking see this. <laughs> he's like, all right, let's 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 just take the bags off just for this time, and no big criticism. It's just it's just you know, like I can't remember what 
Big Daddy yeah. says, but he but he's, he's, like, he's a good idea. It's a good idea. he's like very diplomatic about it which makes it even more funny um and then they all take the bags off and he's like wait i didn't tell you to take the bags off (laughs) yeah but i can't see (laughs) and then they go there with the bags right they go there yeah they end up like going into the ambush with the bags on (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's a very very fun scene and i was like caught off guard i was like what is this scene it's like a comedy Yeah, it was great. I love so, that. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm loving it. I'm loving it. There's a really cool shot in the scene too, where he he's lining up the shot. Yeah. Um, and Schultz is like trying to tell him, "You're gonna miss the shot. You're gonna miss the shot. You're gonna miss the shot." And he's taking his time, takes a big deep breath, and we're looking at the the horse from, I guess, from like the horse downwards. We don't really like. We see the legs of uh, uh what's his name? Who is it? Don, Big, oh, sorry, Daddy. Big Daddy. We see the legs yeah. of Big Daddy, but we don't see him in full. It's a really, really cool shot, and it's it's sort of a fast tracking shot, but it's slowed down a little bit for you to get that dramatic effect. He takes a shot, and then all you hear is the the gunshot, the explosion, and you hear the the blood splatter, oh. and then the camera, and then you see him like fall off, right? Yeah. Um, poor stunt guy, probably like got injured. <laughs> you see the stunt guy fall off, and then the camera slowly moves up, and you see. The blood splattered all over the horse. I think I thought that is like one of the coolest shots on the film. Nice. Yeah, I didn't even recognize that. Yeah. I was just like, oh, he's dead. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you think that shot was beautiful? It was super nice, it was dude. Gorgeous. You know what? <laughs> Another plus point in this movie. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So where were we? They returned. Feeling to... responsible, I think. Feeling responsible for Django. Oh, yeah. Feeling responsible for Django, Schultz agrees to help him find and rescue Bromhilda, and Schultz trains Django to become a bounty hunter. They return to Texas where Django collects his first bounty, keeping the handbill as a memento and for good luck. He and Schultz rack up several bounties before spring when they travel to Mississippi and learn that Bromhilda's new owner is a member of the American Gentry uh, Calvin J. Candy, the, the charming but cruel owner of the Candyland plantation, where male slaves are forced to wrestle to the death in brutal Mandingo fights. Um, what did you think of uh, Tarantino calling the plantation Candyland? It was fun. Like, he's Calvin <laughs> Candy and he's Candyland. I was like, I thought about that um, that game on the mobile phone, but then the game oh, on the mobile phone is Candy Crush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I didn't. I didn't take a lot out of it. I just thought it was like just a fun little thing. Yeah. Like, kind of he's, he's such a weirdo, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but I, like, I like this montage thing. Like, again, to me, I see this film as like an origin story of, of a superhero that never like does anything else. But like it, it made me go, okay, by the time you see that he's like, I feel responsible for you. I've never freed a slave before. You know, I, I want to help you. Like, what's your story? And then like his story is like a German story. And you can see him get really invested. So the idea that like um, Django is really good at shooting, I never question that anymore. The fact that Schultz would do anything for him, I also don't really question that anymore. Like it just it, for me, uh, storyline and character wise, it just did what it needed to. I remember you love the montage from the Rocky movies. So this would have been perfect for you. Well, it wasn't <laughs> as good a montage. Like we would have had like eighties music and him just like shooting stuff like you know less accurate and then it gets more accurate over time and then Schultz is like jumping and cheering but you know what it was fine 
<laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Schultz and Jenger hatch a plan. Decide that Candy will refuse to sell Bromhilda if they try to buy her up front. They will instead offer twelve thousand equivalent to four hundred and six thousand in two thousand and twenty-two. By the way, fun little fact. <laughs> That's crazy, right? So um, worth hundred uh, k in two thousand twenty-three. Yeah, hundred k. I'm just saying that, like inflation. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. The other way around. The other way around. It would be worth way more. Sorry. Way more. Oh, maybe eight hundred k. No. Yeah. When the economy is booming, everything is cheap. Um. For one of his best fighters, as a pretext to acquiring Bromhilda for a normal sum, they meet Candy at his gentleman gentleman's club and make the offer. Intrigued, Candy invites them to Candyland. En route, the group encounters Candy's slave trackers who have concerned uh, Diatagan, Diatagnan, Diatagnan. What it is? What? D.R. Tagnan. He's one of the three musketeers. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> An escapee Mandingo fighter. Django is the trackers, uh, is, the, is forced to intervene when Schultz attempts to buy Diagata. How do you say it again? D.R. Tagnan. D.R. Tagnan <laughs> on the spot to save him. Candy has the trackers of D.R. Dogs maul D.R. Tagnan to death, visibly upsetting Schultz. Okay. So this scene, the dog mauling scene. Well, okay, so you're going to start from the end or start from the start? Oh, we can start from the start. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like the plan. It feels like a heist. Um, I like the fact that, like, Candy is, like, there's this really funny scene. It's like a short, short, short bit where he first meets him and he's like, oh, Calvin Candy's a Francophile. You know, he's really, like, sort of upper class. And then, um, uh, Christoph Walt starts speaking French. And it's like, don't speak French to him, though. You'll embarrass him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's when they were just walking into the mansion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just funny because, like, and, like, that, I think, is kind of like, like, so uh, Calvin Candy has kind of two defining characteristics. Like, one, he's cruel. I guess three. Two, he's, like, kind of polite to, to white people. But also, like, he's, like, a fake enlightened man. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's super it, fake. Super fake. Yeah. He's, like, two-faced a, a bit. But he's also not shy from showing his other face, you know? Yeah, but, like, it's more the fact that, like, he pretends to be really upper class, but he's not. Like, there's so many words that um, Schultz says that uh, Candy, you know, doesn't understand mm. or, yeah. like, he can't speak French. And there's a scene near the end, I'm just going to say it now, like, you know, Dia Tugnan is, like, one of the three musketeers, and to call him that... Um, you know, like, uh, Leo would have had to go to it from a book. And, like, it's, like, a big part of the plot when um, uh, Schultz just eventually dies. And he, like, sort of, like, calls him out on it at that scene. But <laughs> up until, like, when you meet um, Leo and all the way up to that scene, it's just you see a lot of these situations where he's trying to look more um, high class than he is, and then it's just failing miserably because Schultz is there who actually knows all these things. He yeah. can't speak these languages and... Yeah, it's just fun. And he just completely owns him, yeah. Um, but but obviously that's deliberate from Tarantino's part is that he's trying to make that character seem so pretentious and idiotic mm. at the same time. But Leo does a great job at still commanding that attention, you know? Yeah. Like, like, he's, I feel like he's still the person that wears the pants in the room, even though he's getting outsmarted by Schultz. Yeah, he doesn't let it affect him at all. And like I feel like Leo does a really good job. That's the thing why I, I respect this. Because he's just an over-the-top hateable character, 
and he still comes across as captivating yet still hateable. Mm. I, I I enjoyed his role in this film. That eyeliner makes him way evil as well. <laughs> Does he actually have like a lot? Well, it's not a lot. It's, it's noticeable. <laughs> it's noticeable. Like you, you you see the eyeliner, I'm like, oh, that's adding a little bit more evilness to it. <laughs> What are your thoughts on, like, the bastard Django character? Because I, I quite enjoy it. The bastard Django character? Like, throughout the film, Django's just been getting, like, a, a running theme in the film is, like, people seeing him and going, oh, he's a free black man. Oh, okay, like, um, oh, right. I have to yeah. treat him well. And then Django's, they even like, call him, guy. Yeah, they call him, like, Django Freeman. Um, well, no, it's just more the fact that, like, he... Yeah, like, in, in in the Big Daddy place, like, he's free and he's kind of cocky about it. But then by the time he gets to Candyland, he's, like, a bastard, right? <laughs> but he's, yeah. like, his role is, like, I'm a black slaver. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be the worst of the worst. Mm. But, yeah, yeah and, and I think he feels a little bit diminished being in that household. Um, and he's he's got a couple of things on his mind. And the main thing that's on his mind is, like, he needs to get his wife out of here. Right, mm. and so that's always a bit of stress on him. But his interactions with the the other guy, I can't remember his name. Um, with the old Jackson character, no, nah, the guy at the bar um, with the cowboy. Oh, guy. just a random guy, yeah, yeah, just some random guy. Like his interactions with that guy, you know, it's like he he does this have this like he's almost built this superior complex about himself that he's um, he's a bit arrogant or something, and because he has to, because he actually explains it when he's when they're hatching the plan. He's like, if I'm a black slaver, I have to be like mm. the worst of the worst mm. type thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. True, true, true. But um, but like it's him handling that persona inside that that household or inside that mansion while also trying to be somewhat calm and mm. not so obvious that it's his wife that's in that's a slave in there. You know, I, I think that's, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a criticism at all on whether he handled that correctly, because maybe the character forgot that he was doing that too at the same time or being stressed about his, his wife. I don't know. But um, yeah, like, like I, I didn't see him as a bastard, but like, I know that's the persona that he's taking on, but oh, I, I didn't have any like much to, to say about that character. But I felt like um, the character worked for the scenes that he was in. Like, like you have like I don't know. It's just a big part of the plot to have like Calvin Candy be like super interested in him, and then a lot of the how he's roughing everyone's feathers and he's being like really mean. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> I just yeah. I enjoyed the characterization. Yeah, 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 that's good. I think I was still bored at this point. No, <laughs> to be fair, like I would say the Calvin Candy parts, like actually this part here, this paragraph we've just read, is probably the slowest part of the film. Because yeah. you're just sort of uh establishing Leo as like the main antagonist, the worst guy. So it's just like watching him commit atrocities for like twenty minutes. Mm. And so it's it's slow. But again, I as a person who loves this film, I feel like it's time that needed to be spent. Yeah. in order to set up the final act of the film. Because if you don't take this time to show Leo be this this slimy, evil person, mm. then the comeuppance at the end loses um, impact. Yeah, I mean, that, that scene where he's he's watching the Mandingo fight um, and he's bidding on it and he's controlling the whole situation, that yeah. says a lot about his character, a lot. Tons. Um, oh. 
Like it's very, very, very efficient in how they do that. Um, and then, and then we just spend so much time. Like, like I feel like forty minutes or something is spent in this house. <laughs> Maybe even longer. Yeah, a long time. And like at that start, you don't actually hate him like a ton. And then when he nah. when the, the uh, Tagman's like in the tree, he's like, "I paid this much for you, and I expect five fights." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, that was that was. One scene, I guess. <laughs> that was a big yeah, was, scene, and yeah. um, it's it's kind of nice that we didn't get to see that graphic, um, that graphical like dogs ripping and tearing. Do you see it? Because I uh, we, obviously we we not. see a little bit, but it's not full on unedited. It's not like the camera is sitting there and you're seeing this <laughs> this human being being pulled apart by a dog. But you, yeah. you see bits and pieces, but it's only like two or three. It's very, very quick though, which is nice. Like uh, I think it would have been a bit too much. You've already yeah, got, I don't want to. like you, you as a director can do enough to just, you know, hear sounds and do the suspense leading did, up to that moment. He, and you don't in the Mandingo fight, did he break the guy's arm and then kill him? He broke the guy's arm and then Leo's character him. gives him the hammer and he says, finish it off. And he, yeah. and he hammers him and that's it. Oof. Yeah, I, some of these things I couldn't watch. I could hear. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very brutal. And the other characters around there, you know, they're just re- like, even their reactions is also enough to not have to see those explicit scenes. So, yeah. yeah it's a good scene. Cool. Um, where are we at? We are at having told, told Bumhilda, uh, Brumhilda of their plan, Schultz offers to buy her by her as his escort while negotiating the initial Mandingo deal during dinner. Candy's staunchly loyal and suspicious head house slave, Stephen, realizes that Bromhilda knows Django, uh, deduces their plan, and alerts Candy. Enraged, Candy alters the deal at gunpoint to sell Bromhilda for $12,000 instead of the fighter. Schultz reluctantly agrees. During the sales finalization candy threatens to kill Bromhilda if schultz does not shake his hand to seal the deal having had enough of candy's arrogance schultz impulsively shoots and kills candy butch pooch candy's bodyguard kills uh, kills schultz and Django kills pooch candy's lawyer leonide mogai and several of candy's henchmen in a prolonged gunfight, but is forced to surrender when Bromhilda is taken hostage. Okay. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts? Lots of blood and gore, as you expect from a Tarantino movie. You know, very, very over-the-top gunshots where the, yeah. the blood's, like, flying everywhere. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fine. <laughs> I thought Leo did a really good job when he was angry in the room and like finally. Oh yeah, that that head. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's like smashing the table. His hand is bleeding. Yeah, and he's like Leo is really, really delivering a performance of his lifetime. I guess in this moment when he's when the realization kicks in that these guys are phonies. You know, these guys are actually yeah. just here to 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 you know to see a plan through that they didn't expect. Um, but but I like how Leo's character is respectable, where he's like. Well, I'll still sell you her. <laughs> yeah, like like thousand just for her. You you would think that a character of his kind of uh, reputation would just kill them straight up. Yeah, but he and I feel like, <laughs> he he's 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 still I guess he like wants a to do the deal right. He wants to do the deal. He's still like a slave owner and a slave uh, seller and bargainer or whatever at the end of the day, and he still follows it through, which is. Interesting. 
it's funny because in this scene, like, okay, there's that, that scene where he's acted really well. I think it's probably one of the best scenes in the film, just like him freaking out and, and, and forcing them to buy Broomhilda for 12 grand. Mm. But also, like, when he's, like, uh, arrogantly or smugly, like, doing the receipt of sale, and then, um, it, you know, Christoph Waltz, he's just, like, pretty much hanging shit on him, right? Like, just saying, you know, you know, uh, you call him Dia Tagnan, like, that's the Three Musketeers, the writer of that book would hate you, he, he hated slavery, mm. blah, 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 blah. Like, he's just a sort of, like, giving him a lesson in this high class that he pretends to be. And then you see, like, Leo get mad, and then he stands up and he's like, you think you're so much better than me, shake my hand like that's i'm forcing you to do that because i have power in this house still. yeah yeah like it just it seems like it's a power move it's a power move for sure like it's it's showing the dominance of the character and like again you kind of hinted at it before like uh, a lesser villain would be like i'm just gonna shoot you but he actually wanted to force you to bend to his will in a way and he was offended that this guy thought so little of him. But he's like, no, you're going to shake my hand because I make you and thus I am higher than you. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think it's should... very well written in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a handshake shouldn't be that powerful in, in, in this, but like it suddenly just made a lot of sense to me that like why Christoph Waltz would like the last thing he would want to do is shake this guy's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good scene. Good scene. And, you know, like the, the gunfights and stuff, or it's not really a gunfight. It's, it's kind it's of a massive gunfight. Well, um, <laughs> gunfight sort of implies that there's, it's like two-sided, but this felt pretty one-sided. <laughs> like, Jango kind of like, like, like carry the whole thing. Two types of gunfights, right? There's the kill a lot of goons gunfight, which is what mm-hmm. this is. I actually would argue the kill a lot of goons gunfight is the much more common gunfight in most movies. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's the one-on-one gunfight, which is never that fun because no one can get shot. Yeah, he pretty much yeah. just carries the whole time. Yeah, and I feel like that's pretty like <laughs> one enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, but two, I, I think it's super common and fun. Yeah. Um, it is yeah visceral and like I did like how realistic it was. Like he is hiding a lot, and like there's this is part where he's hiding behind a door frame, and you see like the splinters getting like shot out. Yeah. And like he's unable to get out and shoot. Mm-hmm. Like he's not he. Because, you know, you see these things where, like, he's getting cover-fired and, like, people just point out and shoot at the right time. But he can't because he's just getting cover-fired heaps. Yeah, I think it's the yeah. right amount of uh, um, chaos and ruckus. You know, we we, yeah. we said this about, like, previous um, Tarantino scenes where there's a fight going on. It doesn't look choreographed. It looks super messy because, like, you know that those characters wouldn't probably wouldn't be very good at fighting properly in that situation and especially that kind of environment. And I think he just does the same here as well. It's a little bit yeah, like it, it's not clean. Like when he's when he like tries to bind some time, he pulls the body up to act as a human shield for him, and he shoots and stuff. Yeah, like it's super messy, super chaotic. <laughs> that um, character that keeps getting shot. Who was that character <laughs> again? He kept using him as a body shield, and then he always kept getting like in the crossfire or something. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's like the entire time it's like blood packs exploding, yeah, pretty constantly much on that one dude. It's like, oh That's poor guy, but. Don't really care about him dying anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so we are up to the next morning. Next morning? Right. Yeah. The next morning 
the chain Django is tortured and about to be castrated by overseer Bill Cra- Billy Crash when Stephen arrives, informing him that Candy's sister Lara, who has taken charge of the plantation, has ordered him to be sold to a mining company and worked to death. En route there, along with the other slaves, Django devises an escape plan and uses his first handbill to prove to his escorts that he is a bounty hunter. He falsely says the men of the handbill um, from his first bounty are at Candyland and promises the escorts a share of the reward money. Once released, Django immediately kills his escorts, retrieves his clothes and weapons, and returns to Candyland with dynamite. Um, Recovering Bromhilda's freedom papers from Schultz's corpse, Django bids his deceased mentor goodbye and avenges him and the Artagonin Artagonin by killing the trackers. He then frees Bromhilda just as Candy's mourners return from his burial. At the mansion, Django kills Lara, Crash, and the remaining henchmen releases the two remaining house slaves and kneecaps Stephen before igniting the dynamite he had planted throughout the mansion. Django and Bromhilda watch from a distance as the mansion explodes before riding off together. Nice. End of the story. Okay. You know, when he gets to the next morning and he's upside down, I was like, really? Did he... <laughs> did, did Tarantino really ask... Jamie Fox to go upside down and I want to film your nutsack. <laughs> did, did you not notice that straight away? I think I did. It's I like I the, did. the camera lens is on his nutsack. I'm like, wow. <laughs> how much did he pay Jamie Fox for this? I reckon that's a that's a It's probably a double. Yeah. No, no, no. It's probably a double. It's probably not Jamie Fox. I can't imagine Jamie Fox would be like, yeah, I'll get upside down and go naked. I do believe yeah. he would have been upside down, but he wouldn't have been full naked. I think that would have just yeah. been a body double. But that was like a full yeah, on body like, double, or you reckon it's like a, a plastic sack? No, I, I think that's a real body. Like p- p- people, people would die to do stuff like this if they got. That's R, right? That's an, that's an R film. So yeah, it's it checks film, out. Yeah. But, but you um, do crazy with it, the rating. Yeah, like you're probably Tarantino's or any other director for that matter, is probably not expecting any of their paid actors to do stuff like that, and they would yeah. use body doubles. Like, there's body doubles in every single film. And so body doubles would do anything, right? Like, they're, they're yeah, trying sure. to get in the industry. They're, they're sort of up-and-coming, so to speak, actors. So they'll do anything to to, to do that. You it's know? like part of his portfolio. Like, these are my nuts. <laughs> Here's my resume. What, yeah. what were you? For? I was. I was uh, actually in Django Unchained. Yeah, I was in one of Tarantino's best movies. It was supposedly, and look at this scene here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that kind of put me off. I was like, shit, really? <laughs> Come on. I found in that scene, like uh, again, like you know, like Stephen. We haven't talked a lot about um. Steven. Oh it's yeah, kind of, about Samuel Jackson. Yeah, I felt like Samuel Jackson does a really good job in this film. Like. He yeah, like he's convincing quiet, for sure. Main antagonist. Yeah, and it's yeah, really yeah. funny. Before I watched this film, I was watching a short on YouTube, which I know is like one of my problems. It was like Malcolm X talking about like the house slave and how they're worse than the slave yeah. owner. Yeah, because they're the ones who buy into it. Like they will call the house our house, mm. and they will call like the family our family, even though he's a slave. Mm. And like you know, I don't, I don't follow Malcolm X that closely, but like that was really cool for me to watch this film after seeing that short. And I'm like, oh man, like Samuel Jackson's character is this guy, 
Yeah, I guess I can see that. There's probably a lot of psychological repercussions that happen with people that become slavers. You know, they were once slave and yeah. then then became a slaver of the household or something. There's probably psychological repercussions the same well, way that, like, you know, if you come from a tortured family, your chances of becoming the torturer are also quite high, you know? Because he's still, he's not a slave though. He's still a slave. He's just like, the thing he's, that's kind yeah. of funny that... But he has some another, kind of power. Well, I mean, not a lot exactly, of power. Exactly, you know? yeah. Or at least the character I mean, feels like he's got power. No, he's totally got power. That's, that's the thing. Like, I feel like it's a metaphor for, like life today and i don't think tarantino meant this so this is a stretch right i want to say this <laughs> straight away but like i feel like politically there are people in power who f- feel no they don't feel like i'm just gonna say it. like the middle class is always like looking down at the lower class and they're worried about the lower class and so they're gonna vote against their own interests to make sure that the lower class are lower than they can be right because they feel that they have a power below the low even though the high is so much ridiculously higher than everyone else they keep people distracted by making them hate each other and i feel like that's kind of a metaphor of samuel L. jackson's character who is a technically middle class in this household looking down on all the actual slaves even though in reality he is still a slave mm. yeah yeah true it's probably a metaphor. Maybe Tarantino wasn't thinking about this, but I can see what you're saying. You know, there's, um, it's analogous to our current state of living. Well, I mean, not our current state of living. I mean, that's just life in general. That's just um, yeah. Uh, like life has always been like that. There's always been classes, and um, but I feel like there is definitely a an effort put out to make sure that like the lower classes are always blaming each other, mm-hmm. like a concerted conspiracy conspire against the lower classes is that what you're saying yeah i think uh, i don't want to call it a conspiracy because that makes me i mean maybe it technically is but i feel like there's a conspiracy (laughs) sounds like a conspiracy (laughs) (laughs) i feel like there is an effort in the media to make like middle people uh, think that the lower people are like unworthy of help or or like they're terrible people yeah and so they're gonna vote against them there's persuasive things that happen on news media for sure but yeah um that type of stuff has always existed in human existence. It, it, we didn't need the media to do that. We're, we've always been capable of doing this for a very, very long time. You look at like the Roman Empire, the Paleolithic era, like classism. I mean, they, they, they had like their, uh, you know, the blocks of stone. I reckon on there they're like, hey, you know, the slaves are taking your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like you've studied history ever. <laughs> No, not really. But like, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's the metaphor for it. But um, it, yeah, it's not whether it is or not. Like, it's it's it is analogous to obviously like classes. It's a, yeah, it's a cool thing to take away, and I like the fact that Samuel L. Jackson does actually turn out to be technically the main antagonist, and the fact that he dies last, yeah. and it is uh, you know cathartic to see him get killed in a way that isn't just a gunshot, mm. like. He dies in a bad way, and I want it to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and this, like, you know, that that this last part of the film is maybe even the whole film, but but especially this last part of the film, it's the same structure that you'd see in spaghetti western films. Um, yeah. If, if you go back and I don't know if you've ever seen a spaghetti western film, but um, I think like the uh, the famous ones, uh, like the Clint Eastwood ones, like a lot of yeah. the. Have you seen any of yeah. the um, John? I was going to say John Wick. <laughs> John, like Wayne, maybe? John Wayne, yeah. Have you seen many of those? No, films? not really. I've only seen, like, like 
Fistful of Dollars and those ones. And oh, I saw yeah. um, like Unforgiven and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Unforgiven. Well, I'll, I'll take Good, Bad, and the Ugly out of the Eastwood movies would is probably like the most classic spaghetti wisdom but um yeah like yeah, the, the the way that whole film all those types of genre let's call them genre films because you know, they're western films um they are all structured pretty much the same the ending like the same way that django is and i think that's intentional i think um tarantino has always spoken in his interviews about him wanting to do a classic western film and he finally got to do yeah it. He, he said that right this was like he i think he's gone like on record saying like I've wanted to make it a Western film forever and I, this is it. Like, yeah, and this is it. Yeah. And he's always been doing homages to just types of films. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And I believe he does an homage to a certain Western film. I think I have it written well, down. This yeah. film, I'm pretty sure, like Django Unchained or is just Django or something like that. Like that's actually a classic uh, yeah. Western film. So, so the, the film is inspired by 1966 Sergio Corbucci's franco nero having a cameo so i'm assuming this is a italian uh western spaghetti then the fight spaghetti right wasn't weren't they all italian westerns uh it's the term spaghetti western yeah well i mean the the term spaghetti western was adopted into hollywood filmmaking because of like the style like there's there's classic western films and then there's spaghetti western films which i think was probably pioneered by by the italians but. yeah i feel like it's because they're all from italy i wasn't i, I don't know but i i thought it was that yeah so sergio but Corbucci. sergio Corbucci. speaking of italians man italians are very talented filmmakers very very talented. Oh, the term spaghetti western was coined by spanish journalist alfonso sanchez oh, spanish. to describe the low budget <laughs> films being made yeah, in italy during the 60s and 70s gotcha. yeah okay yeah um yeah so here are some fun facts about the film by the way joseph gordon levitt was originally cast as jano which is not a character that's in the film <laughs> um but decided not to be in django unchanged so he can work on his directorial debut don john's addiction um yeah cool i mean don john i haven't seen that but i didn't i heard it wasn't that good mm, yeah it's not the greatest he should stick to acting no offense jgl if mm. you're listening to this <laughs> i like him in, in a lot of things i i like him a lot yeah i think he's great i don't think directing his thing but you know you know what if he wants to give it another go then all the power to him you, so you saw it i've seen it yeah it's not yeah. that great <laughs> Uh, Quentin Tarantino originally intended for Will Smith to star as Django. Now, I've I, heard this I, story. I can see, I can see Will Smith as in that character for sure. I don't think so. Actually, it's funny. Like, I again, like it's hard. You, you see characters. I mean, you see dude, after, after that slap at done. the Oscars, surely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just feel like, like <laughs> at that time, he was like the fun Men in Black, Enemy of the State guy, right? Could he be? Like this aggressive um, slaver, surely. Much. Like you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Could he play Jack Wimbledon for sure? Look at his character on I Am Legend. Super confident, very dem- very commanding. Knows what he's I doing. Legend. I Am Legend. Wait, that's that one. He, the one where he acts by himself for like ninety percent of the film. You're <laughs> like ninety nine percent of the film. He's. I don't know, man. Like that. I, the Django character, the Django character, is a very, very straightforward character. It's about confidence, having assertiveness, but show, like showing the right moments of him learning. You know, 
um yeah. unsure but he's but once he I learns guess... something like his i think a lot of actors could play this role and, and and i think this is this is um again going back to what i was saying before i don't think his character is that interesting it's like it's not that very layered it's not i know what you mean character. and i think anybody could take that someone like will smith yeah absolutely i think he could definitely take on that role okay i think people could do it i think people could do it better than others yeah but i don't know about this one here where um there were other actors also considered for this role it was Chris Tucker, Terrence Howard, Tyrese Gibson, M.K. Williams, Idris Elba. I could see Idris, Idris Elba. Elba would have. I think yeah, he, I, think I would have loved that. that. Actually, he would be so much better than Jamie Foxx in this. I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he would have been really good. And that's not that's you know that's no harsh offense or criticism to Jamie Foxx. I think he's more suited for. Like he's he's definitely good in other films. I think he's great in Collateral. I think that's one of my favorite roles that he's ever played. Oh yeah, he's good in that. Yeah, he's very very good in that. Um, what else? I want to say he's good at this. Like the character is again, he's the protagonist. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. At least this protagonist is a, is more interesting than the protagonist in Tenet. <laughs> I keep referring to that line, right? <laughs> you do. You're abating that out, weren't you? <laughs> I keep wanting you to take it. Um, um, and here's this look. Lady Gaga was considered for the role of Lara Lee Candy. That's Willie. Yeah, I mean, interesting. It wouldn't have changed a lot. She was she was considered to do acting roles way back then, 2012. That's crazy. Yeah, interesting. I thought she was like a a newcomer. She's still a good actress now, isn't she? Well, uh, I don't know about good. <laughs> so she was in uh, she was in a few things like well, she's in Star is Born, yeah, and then the Versace one or something. Yeah, or the... yeah, the Versace, which was not a very good movie at all. <laughs> oh, wasn't it? Nah, okay. it was terrible. But like, I, I, I think she's she's definitely Adam got Driver. talent. She's definitely got talent for acting. Um, to say that she's good, she has to do more. Like, I have to see her in more stuff. I don't think. Oh, actually, just to go back to the film a little bit, what did you think about Quentin Tarantino's cameo? Because he does have cameos in yeah. most films. How do you rate this cameo? Uh, Australian Quinton. It's okay. Because there's two Australians in this, right? It's him playing an Australian, and then there's the other Australian dude. I was not aware of that. I yeah. Was him. Yeah, there's the other Australian dude. Like, super like, awesome. With him. Like, yeah, with him. yeah, with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. You know how there's three characters? There's Tarantino, and then the, the, the two other the two white guys. Yeah. yeah, one of those other white dudes, he's a hardcore Aussie, like Outback oh. Aussie, like G'day Mate Aussie. <laughs> Yeah, because Tarantino's good too. He's he's good day in everybody. I guess you were just taken away from Tarantino's performance. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, he was so good. But it was, was, I that, that was funny. To be honest, like his accent was pretty good. Yeah, people always just rag on it. I was waiting to hate it. It was I think it's pretty bad. good. I think it's yeah. Yeah. I think he's definitely learnt a lot from um even though she's not Aussie, um, the stunt girl. I forgot her name. She's a Kiwi. Yeah, 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 she's a kid. Yeah, probably heard from her. Hey, they probably hang out yeah, a lot, yeah. and he's probably rubbed off on him. So, does a good job. But I feel like like that scene's cool because again, it 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 goes okay. One, one, th- a couple like lightning round stuff. I feel like Samuel L. Jackson, like when he's telling him like we should send him to the mining company, like that was just kind of a fun conversation. Yeah. I thought he does that really well. Um, when Django uses his like charisma and convincing to get out of. Um, the situation he's in, I felt that was a cool throwback to Christoph Waltz and like doing it his way and using his first hand wheels. Like it was a nice little way to round out the film, give it a bit of a circle. Um, I enjoyed the fact that like this entire film, it's got like these slaves looking at Django like he's this special guy, and it's constantly happening, right? Like he's the free man, he's on a horse, he can't be on a horse, and then at this time, um. 
the slaves in the carib- or in the in the cage, they again look at him like he's special, and I quite like that. Um, and then the part I want to talk about was that right at the end, like I was actually really happy that they didn't do this prolonged fight at the end. Mm. It was just a very quick, like Django just messing everybody yeah. up. Yeah. Like really I wasn't, I didn't really have a job. Yeah. I didn't have it in me to watch like another prolonged fight scene where he had a difficult time. Yeah. Like he's had that breakdown time. Now yeah. it's time to come and just like. You know, he's level 99 now. He's yeah. going to come up and just wreck everybody. Just seal the that deal. Seal the deal. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, one last thing on the some interesting facts. Uh, maybe not. I think that's it, really, for the review and recap for Django Unchained. So we're coming now to our rating out of 10. You should go Tony. <laughs> You know what I want to do? I love this film. Like, I... Okay, so I know, okay. Let me go first because yeah, let first. me finish on a, on a higher, then we'll finish on a low. <laughs> um, I love this film. I thought after Inglorious because, like, when I saw Inglorious, I thought I was going to love this less because, like, I had kind of a, a newfound appreciation of Inglorious when I saw mm. it that second time. Um, but no, not really. <laughs> when I watch this again, I realize that the only parts I don't really like are the starting candy parts, and they're necessary. So I can't really hate them too much. So this to me is like Inglorious Bastards, but one, it's about slavery, which I find a more engaging topic than World War Two for me personally, as a subjective opinion. Two, it's more of like a power play with... Um, revenge and it's just kind of like a fun romp all the way through which i enjoy more than the dramatic tension of inglorious and christoph Waltz is super fun and charismatic which i enjoy a lot so you've already written it down but i will not make you delete that number (laughs) you told me it was a 10 right yeah i love it i love this film i might call it the best one in my opinion the best one and oh, you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people that would consider Django and Chain as the best Tarantino. I'm happy that I'm not alone because, like, this is very subjective. I just because you know, like, to the listeners, I, I love John Wick one at least. I love the Equalizer. Like, I love these kind of dumb revenge things where the main character just wins a lot. So this really speaks to me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, okay, uh, for me, I th- the, there's there's kind of a maybe two ways that I can sum up my feelings for this film. One is that it's <laughs> there, there are enjoyable and redeeming aspects of the movie, like the ones that we mentioned during the recap. And, um, and the other main point is that I just don't have this emotional connection that I feel like I should have with a film like this, where the characters are not really characters that I connect with other than Schultz. Schultz is kind of like the only one that I'm really vouching for to, to be the hero of the story. And even when he dies, I'm kind of like, oh, that's a bummer. I thought he was the best character. Mm. Um, and when when you don't have an emotional anchor to any of these characters for me to connect to, it's hard for me to take this story somewhat serious. Um, so on one hand, the story feels kind of SNL slapstick because of his kind of um, <laughs> his, 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 his way of kind of being a bit clumsy with the the kind of content you know he does the same thing in glorious bastards you mm. know it's kind of like this hubris um element to his storytelling um and especially if you're going to have that like kkk scene where it feels completely out of place <laughs> compared to the rest of the movie well, like, i would 
out of place, but I would hate if they took it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, leave it in the film. But it's it's bizarre. It's, it's very very bizarre. Yeah. When, when you when you're looking at the story strictly, it just doesn't really make any sense that you'd have that type of straight up comedy. It's not even slightly comedy. It's like a straight up Adam Sandler yeah, comedy sure. or something. <laughs> you know, sure. written by Judd Apatow. It's almost like they asked Judd Apatow to come in and write a scene for the film. <laughs> Well, um, definitely, yeah, I felt that. Yeah. So so there's there's these types of things that happen in the film that sort of take it away from the serious nature of what you're, he's trying to depict, even though it is a vehicle, but the vehicle should be just as strong, in my opinion, for a good story um, that should be cathartic by the end. And I just didn't really feel like I wanted catharsis by the end of it. I think by the end of it, I was kind of like, yeah, it's it feels like... Um, something that's somewhat entertaining and interesting to see maybe on youtube <laughs> or um like that's that's not a huge dig on it like i we we spend a lot of time on youtube but i'm just saying that the, as far as emotional connection just didn't feel that with any of the characters and i think this well, that's why i feel a little bit detached from the film and i don't feel the same way as yourself is and everyone else yeah um i'm surprised actually you you i guess complain about the lack of emotional weight to the characters because like again because you, you're known to love inglorious but i feel like outer rain for example has far less characterization or the bastards in general like realistically it's like just shoshana that has any weight to her story right yeah and like the the all the characters in glorious bastards they have all those characters have something interesting and exciting when they're on screen even though as like one note as the characters may be mm. there's the 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 doing stuff in the film that just makes sense for the story because the story is actually the winner of of that not really the characters whereas the story for this is like i have my expectations for like what slavery content is is trying to be and it's hard for him so it's hard for tarantino to have one foot in this like super serious issue of slavery and then one foot in like that kind of hubris part that Inglorious Bastards. That's what I loved about it, actually, because that's the thing for me. Like, I find like you're know, 12 years a slave, it's just depression, 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 and then like you get a little slice of happiness at the end, right? Whereas I feel like, again, I, I said this a couple of times, where he's taking a very serious topic like slavery, and he's kind of just saying, and here's what happens when, you know, the slave gets a gun. Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of like a fun sort of, again, fantasy type thing. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's the same reason I love Bastards, where it's like, hey, this is what happens if, if Hitler gets murdered in a hilarious way. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, so anyway. Um, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I'm saying. Keep defending it, damn it. Yeah. Just just let it go, dude. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> just let it go. The um, um, Yeah, so that's why there's just a, a huge disconnect that I just don't have. And, and I still feel like that there is... Two separate parts of the film that are just there's there's a contrived element to it and trying to connect those things and I just don't really see it. Um, I, I read a review from uh, uh, Wall Street Journal who actually says something very very similar, probably a lot more eloquently than I do. But he talks about how there is a there, there's a disconnect to to the characters, the way the characters are portrayed, versus you as the viewer trying to connect with the story that the characters are trying to tell you. So. Something along those lines, and I was I was kind of resonating with what he was saying in that Wall Street Journal article. But that guy actually really hates the film. <laughs> I don't hate Actually. the film. I don't think the film is terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I just think there's there's 
there's a lot riding in this film. There's a lot of there's there's a lot of money. There's a lot of budget in this, and it looks you good. Felt it felt like it, like I don't know if it felt like it had a lot of budget. Like I'm not saying it, it looked low budget, but to say that it costs more than actually it doesn't cost much more. I was gonna say it costs twenty five grand more or twenty five mil more than Glorious, right? Yeah, the hundred million dollars is not much for a film, but this like he really utilized a hundred million dollars. Like this feels like it's in that period. It looks yeah, beautiful. True, the photography is great. Maybe some lighting issues in some scenes. <laughs> um, but very, very good photography and really good use of practical effects. Like, it's it's, it's expensive when you see this film. Um, compared, yeah, like, And I say that because I'm saying it in vain of all his other films that he's made, which is always usually in the low-budget area, right? And he makes yeah. great films in low-budget films as well. But um, with this, he really utilized the, the budget very well, and I think he'd done a great job with it. Um, this is high budget error, right? Like after this, it's all high budget. Kind of, yeah. Like he's, he's. I think he goes up to like 150 million or something, or close to 200 for Hollywood. Yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, um, and that's a super flashy film compared yeah, to okay. the rest of his ones. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, it's flashy. Like Django looks flashy, and it's, yeah. and I think it's utilized really well. Um, so for that respect, <laughs> I'm going to give this movie. Just put the okay. Wait, let me let me do it. Yeah, I'll put it. I know what you gotta do. Wait, you've already typed. No, I haven't typed. I can't it get into the box. Yeah, but you're you're. Oh, you're, you're okay. Down. I'm going to I'll give it a. Oh no, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was pressing the wrong one because it was like above it. Eight out of ten. I'll take that. I'll take that. Eight out of ten versus a ten out of ten. Um, halfway point is nine out of ten. <laughs> what? What is that? You edited it? That's crazy. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. I accept that. Look, but I, I commend and I respect the passion that you have for defending a movie that you really, really love. Yes. I used to be there once upon a time, you know, defending movies that I really love. <laughs> with, with what? Which one? Oh, with anything. You got to defend yeah. Princess Bride to me one day because... No, like I, I, I used to be... That are awful. I used to be a warrior for defending films that I love and I used to love getting in these like hardcore discussions with people that people didn't really want to get into. But I'm yeah. past that. <laughs> I don't, you're, you're greater than me now. Yeah, uh, like, no, it's, it's like, like once, once we go through, like it's, it's it was like the earlier stages of me getting into analyzing film and talking a lot about film. I, I used to want to defend a lot of films that I really loved. Like, was there today. what's one particular one? I'm curious. Um, what's one yeah. that I used to defend a lot? I don't know. There's just so many. <laughs> I bet you'll be like, oh, Lord of the Rings. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Did I have to defend? I don't know. Yeah, it could be. You wouldn't have had to. I, just, I, like, I can't imagine you'd have to defend that film. Yeah, this I've come across people that didn't like it. Oh, that's, that's more attacking their opinion than defending the film, really. Like As far as like defending a film, okay, I think one, uh, this is a Will Smith film, actually, Enemy of the State. I would have had to have defended this film because I don't think it's that good, but I actually love it. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I I have films like that where I know they're shit, but I love yeah. them and I'll defend them. But it's a different type of defense. It's more like it's a playful defense. Whereas there's 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 serious films. <laughs> okay, okay. But what I'm saying is like there's there are serious films where I think they are the up echelon. They should always be defended. That I would defend tooth and nail for. You know, and but, like um, there are people out there who don't don't like them. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't care if people just like the films that I think that are really good. And it should, See, the it should, thing is, it should be vice versa. Like it, it doesn't matter too much, you know, whether whether a film is good or not is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, 
And it's all down to your pure entertainment, and nobody should ever take that away from you. But as a podcast host, isn't it in your best interest to have these kind of uh, arguments and discussions? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason why we have the podcast. (laughs) You should should get back into it then, right? Like, Like sort of aggressively. You know what? Special guest, any fan who hates <laughs> the thing that we say, will revisit the film. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I'd invite anybody to the podcast, anybody, regardless of the kind of opinion they share. Um, but, you know, like, it's like the people that come on the podcast are usually people that have a sense of affinity towards the craft, right? Um, I, I've, I've had a couple of mates that would be like, oh man, bring on the podcast. But what do I say? And I'm like, okay, well, Let's not bring you on the podcast. <laughs> Wait, that's their fault. They shouldn't have questioned it. If they went full confident, yeah, like, like, oh, like, but, like, I mean, they're, they're not, you know, films are not really their kind of, in, in their world of, like, things that are affinity, like, that they have an affinity for. Films oh, are just like, like, oh, yeah, I like them. But I really like this film. I should talk about it. I was like, can you talk See, about it? I portrayed myself as that when I met you, though. Oh, I don't know. I don't really watch stuff. Blah, 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 blah. No. Nah. You brought me on pretty quick. Nah. You downplay yourself, though. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Calling me the best striker in Sunday soccer, I see. <laughs> it's a different topic, really. <laughs> um, okay, so we are at the end of the podcast. Um, thank you for listening in, listener. If you're brand new here, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the podcast. This is where you get your good and healthy dose of insights into movies. And occasionally we do TV series. Next up, we will um, be dropping the review for The Marvels, which is the MCU's newest film. Did you see that already? I have seen that, yeah. Um, uh, no spoiler than I am. Movie number 588 <laughs> from Marvel Studios. <laughs> yeah. So, like... Uh, yeah. So, Do you want to give, like, a... No, actually, I won't. No, no. <laughs> you can ask me later. Um, but um, yeah, well, well, I'll be dropping that soon. Um, I'm going to be seeing The Killer this week, so I'm really excited to see that. Um, David Finch's new film. Um, really excited. I'm going to see that tomorrow night with a friend of mine. Um, and um, I'll be dropping the review for that later this week as well. So um, other than that, we're going to be finishing off the Tarantino series very, very soon. We've got two films left. Next up is Hateful Eight, which is going to be a few episodes from now. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Any last thoughts? Any last words to our listeners? Never seen Hateful Eight. Not looking forward to it. So (laughs) enjoy, everybody. (laughs) Enjoy, everybody. Um, And uh, we'll see you again, Tony. Thank you so much for jumping in. Thank you. Bye-bye.